Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, The Book of Judges. In this series, we'll walk through the Book of Judges and let it shine a light into the muddy waters of human rebellion. These stories are some of the most bizarre and interesting stories found anywhere. They're not just historical curiosities, they are glimpses of humanity as applicable today as they were back then. The stories reveal a God working above and through the chaos to bring redemption. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select contact us, and send us an email. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. So yesterday morning, I got up early in the morning, um, met with some friends at 7 a.m., and we took off north to where there's snow. We went to uh, Reedsboro, Vermont. Um, if you ever drive through it, don't close your eyes because you'll miss it. Um, we went to the Hoot and Toot 5K snowshoe race. Now, um, I need to tell you that two of us had snowshoed. One of us had never actually uh, put snowshoes on their uh, feet. So I would say that he was at a, a distinct disadvantage. Um, so, um, but, um, you know, he was in the weak position, should we say, okay? Um, so it was Ken and Harrison and I, and we took off. And uh, uh, when it was all done, uh, Ken and Harrison were way up in front, and I was way in the back. Uh, but here's the deal. The guy who had never had snowshoes on his feet uh, won his age bracket in the race yesterday. So... <laughs> So you're probably asking me why I'm telling you that story, because you don't really know, want to know about me going snowshoeing. But, but anyway, um, uh, so here's why I'm telling you this story, okay? Because we're going to talk about being strong in weakness, all right? Let me ask you a question. If you could do anything for God and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? Don't answer it. Think it through. If you could do anything for God and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? Now, you tend to go really grandiose, but let me, let me narrow back in. So let's say maybe you have a neighbor who's going through a really big crisis and, and you're caring for her and you keep checking in with her and seeing how she's doing. And every time uh, you spend time listening to her and talking with her, you feel this prompting from the Holy Spirit saying, you know, you really need to pray with her. But you've never prayed out loud with another person in your life and you're not sure that your faith is strong enough for you to do it, even though you're trying to care for this woman. If you knew you wouldn't fail, what would you do for God? Maybe you have a friend that you've known for years, and you've become quite close, and and he knows you go to church, and you've never really talked to him too much about church. In fact, you really haven't talked to him about how important Jesus is in your life, that he's your Lord and your Savior. And you, you... you know you should tell him about Jesus, and you know you should even talk to him about, uh, ask him if he would like to have a relationship with Jesus. But, you know, you've heard people share the gospel, but you've never done it, and you're not sure that if you invited him to do this, that he uh, may ask you a question that you don't feel like you're strong enough to have the biblical knowledge to answer that question. If you knew you wouldn't fail, what would you do for God? 
Maybe you sense that God's calling you to step out in faith and do something. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a servant position. Maybe it's a leadership position, whatever it is. You, you know, maybe it's, it's not a, a big deal in the sense of the world, but you know that God wants you to do it. But you don't think you have enough strength in your faith to do it. If you could do anything for God and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? You know, this morning we're, we're going to talk about this idea that, you know, we don't have to be super strong to do things great for God. And, and if that's where you are, this is a perfect day for you to be here because we're going to talk about that. We're, we're going through the book of Judges in this season. And today we're going to be looking at another episode in the life of Gideon. He's one of the judges that God has called to lead Israel during this period. And he specifically has been called to rescue Israel from the oppression of the Midianites. You see, they've gathered themselves and they've invited some other groups of people to come in and siege Israel. Now, if you know anything about Gideon, more than likely you know something about some fleece that he uh, laid out one time to trust God. Now, uh, we talked about that last week. By the way, Pastor Dan had an inspiring message. If you weren't here to hear it, you need to listen to it online uh, because I think it will really bless you. But today we've moved on from chapter 6. We're in chapter 7, and we're going to pick up the story on the first verse. So let me begin. Early in the morning, Jerobbaal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. Now, that had to be startling to Gideon that God was doing this. Uh, he was told that he had too many soldiers to attack not one group of people, not two group of people, two groups of people, but multiple groups of people, the, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the other, we don't know how many of the other eastern peoples are. Now, reducing one's army to fight a battle is not a normal military strategy. I, I've not served in the military, but, but I'm pretty certain I can say that with, with a great deal of confidence, that that's not the normal way to fight a battle. But that's what God tells Gideon to do. And the screening question, the screening question is really ironic because God says to Gideon that anyone who trembles with fear may turn back. Now, it's ironic because Gideon wrestles with fear all the time. And that's the screening question. And so, the force of Israel is reduced from 32,000 to 10,000. Um, now, you know, while it's not a normal military strategy, I can see some sound human logic behind this reduction of troops. Think about it. Soldiers who are trembling with fear are probably not going to fight well if fight at all in the battle. Soldiers who are trembling with fear are probably going to lose ground and place the overall battle strategy in jeopardy. And they're going to put other soldiers who aren't afraid in harm's way because they're either going to desert or panic. 
So there's some solid human logic in removing these specific soldiers. But still, it's quite a loss. It's over two-thirds of the army. But remember God's reasoning. God's reasoning was God wanted Israel to know that he had saved them. That human effort, that human armies had not saved him. So God looks at the 10,000 soldiers and he says, you know what? There's still too many soldiers here. And so God tells Gideon how to separate the soldiers a second time. And this time Gideon is left with 300 soldiers to fight the battle. You mathematicians, that's a 99% troop reduction. All right. Uh, Mind-boggling, okay? It's crazy to think what's going on here. So why, again, is God doing this? Because when the battle is won, God wants Gideon and those 300 soldiers and uh, the the 32,000 31,700 and all of Israel, and in fact, the Amalekites and the Midianites and all the Eastern people to say, God won that battle. God wants everybody to know that God won that battle. Why? Because God wants them to know and he wants us to know that when we are weak, he is strong. That's the first point that I want to make today. God is strong in our weakness. God is strong in our weakness. And then this is not uh, just an Old Testament principle. You find this principle also in the New Testament. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we read about the Apostle Paul who had, had a personal encounter and reality check around this entire principle. Um, He writes in chapter 12 that he was privileged to have a vision of heaven. And yet, after that vision of heaven, he experiences some kind of physical illness. And and he writes about the illness, and he doesn't tell us what it is, but he says it's a thorn in the flesh. It's a messenger from Satan. And, And as Paul considers what has happened to him, he realizes that because God allowed him to see this vision of heaven, it would become be very easy for him to become proud and conceited. And so maybe God then is using his illness, his thorn in the flesh, to prevent that from happening. So let's look at what he writes. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul continues. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I want you to notice some things about Paul's response. He prays. He prays, and the answer he gets is not what he wanted. He wanted God to deliver him from this thorn in this flesh, this illness. But nevertheless, he trusted God. He trusted God knowing that in his weakness, God would be strong in his life. In fact, so much that he embraces weakness. He embraces persecution. He embraces hardship knowing that in his Human nature, he may be weak, but Christ's power will be revealed in his life and God will be glorified because of what he did through his life. That's the principle. 
that when we are weak, God is strong. Now, candidly, this is really what has to happen in every single one of our lives to become a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, if you're not a follower of Jesus, what needs to happen in all of our lives is that at some point we have to realize that we aren't good enough to achieve salvation on our own, that, that we are, are not strong enough, wise enough, smart enough, rich enough, whatever enough to achieve salvation, to buy it, to earn it, to barter it for it, because you can't do any of those things for it. You can only receive it. And the only way you can receive it is come to the place where you realize that you're not strong enough to save yourself. You see, everybody who becomes a follower of Jesus Christ has to come to that place where they say, I need a Savior. I cannot save myself in this world or in the world to come. I need one who is stronger than me. I need one who can save me. I will need one who can provide me with eternal life and for power for living in this difficult, hard human existence. And that is Jesus. He is the one who can save us. And in the midst of coming to that terms, we, we have to experience what the Bible talks about as repentance. Repentance is this idea that you realize that you are a sinner. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that every human being, nobody's exempt. Every single human being is a sinner. We all sin. We, we make mistakes that are sins, and we do things on purpose that are sins. And that separates us from God. And so there's no way we can compensate for that sin. We can never do enough good deeds to outweigh the bad deeds. So we need a Savior. And so repentance happens where we realize we need that Savior. And we realize we need Him and we accept His forgiveness for our sins and we say, I'm, I'm going to stop sinning and I'm going to turn away from that sin and I'm going to seek to live a life for you, receiving your forgiveness and confessing my sin to you. In both of those instances, both of those things, that's where we recognize that we're not strong enough to do what we need, and we have to have a Savior. There's something else that happens when we realize that we're not strong enough. When we realize that we're not strong enough to, for, to buy forgiveness or earn forgiveness or, or do it on our own and we need a Savior, all of a sudden the love and the, the uh, gratitude that we have for the one who is the Savior, Jesus, grows immensely because we realize, we realize where we would be without a Savior. We realize how far we have gone down and how far He's going to bring us back up. We realize that in our human weakness, He can be strong in our lives. Pastor Tim Keller points out that this principle explains how we almost always grow as Christians. Really what he's saying is this, that we grow when we realize that we can't do it on our own. We grow when we recognize that we need God to help us be faithful followers of Jesus. I cannot tell you the number of times as a follower of Jesus Christ and as a pastor where I realized I didn't have the skills, I didn't have the capacity, I didn't, hadn't done enough study, I hadn't done enough of things on my own to do what God was calling me to do. And the number of times that in a quiet place, I said, God, I can't do this. You've got to do it through me. 
I've told you this before. You tell me my best sermons are the ones when I pray that prayer before I preach. And when I don't pray that prayer before I preach, you don't tell me that was a good sermon. <laughs> I should learn, shouldn't I? Okay? I need to come down to my knees to ask God to work through me. The, the importance of knowing that when we are weak, God is strong means that God will be able to use us because we're open to what he wants to do. We're, we're like clay in a potter's hand. We're pliable, we're moldable, we're usable. And when we know we are weak, then we can depend on God. Years ago, <clears throat> I was pastoring a church in Minnesota, and um, it was after there had been a huge hurricane in, on the east coast of Nicaragua. And we supported a group of churches on the east coast, and their towns and villages and buildings and homes and churches were just devastated, wiped out. And um, we were at a men's breakfast, and one of the guys said, hey, you know, uh, a, a couple of months ago, there was this charity that, that collected all of these clothes to send overseas to another disaster, and they had more than they needed, and now there's a warehouse sitting with used clothes to be sent someplace. We should find out if we can send that to Nicaragua. And through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, I said, okay, I'll check. And uh, after checking... By uh, uh, the next Monday, I had the promise of a semi-load full of clothing to be delivered to the parking lot of our church on pallets filled with 500 pounds of clothes each. Um, I was way over my head. I had no clue what I was doing. And so I just prayed and uh, I sought help because they said, you got to have a forklift there to unload the truck. We're at church. We don't have a forklift. I don't know where I'm going to get a forklift. I don't know anybody that has a forklift. So I, I realize I'm weak and I pray. And I just start making cold calls to all the, the businesses. And one of them says, yeah, we got a forklift. We'll bring it over. I'm like, great. So on Monday morning, the semi-truck shows up, the forklift shows up. It's in the middle of winter in Minnesota. There's snow and ice all over the parking lot. And they unload those pallets of 500 pounds of clothes onto the parking lot. And then I realize the forklift can't get them inside the church. And I said to the forklift driver, what do I do? He says, you need a pallet jack. I go, what's a pallet jack? And he goes, well, this is what it is, but we don't have one. I said, Okay, and so the forklift driver left, and the semi-truck left, and there's all these clothes, and we've got a, a church full of volunteers coming that evening to sort through all these clothes and repack them. So again, I'm over my head. I said, God, I don't know what to do. I'm, help me. I pray, and then I start making phone calls. Turns out there's another business in town that has a pallet jack. They'll deliver it and loan it to us for the week. So he delivers it that day. I, he teaches me how to use the pallet jack, and I bring all of those bundles of clothes inside the church. Volunteers show up, and for the next two or three days, we're sorting through all these clothes and then repackaging them. And so then there's the next problem. We've got to hire a truck to get it from Minneapolis to Miami, where there's a ship waiting. I've never hired a truck for anything. I don't know how trucking works. So I, I call a trucking company, and I get a whole new education about how trucks are going. And I'm praying, God, I don't know what to do. And he says, you know, it's going to be pretty expensive. He said, but there's a whole bunch of independent uh, truckers who uh, don't like to go anywhere with empty trailers, so maybe you can put it out the bid and somebody will pick it up. 
I said, okay. I prayed. I put it out to bid for the cost of the fuel because that's all we could afford. And a trucker picked up the bid, and he said, I'll, I'll show up. And so he showed up on that Friday. The guy with the forklift showed up. We loaded it into the back of the truck, and we shipped it off to Miami. But it was a whole experience of me realizing how weak I was, how little I knew, and how far over my head I was. But in that weakness, I let God be strong. Now, it's really tempting for us in our weakness to try to be strong instead of let God be strong. But here's the deal. When we recognize we are weak, we need to turn to God and let him be strong in our lives. He wants to show us how he can work in us and through us. So let's go back to chapter 7. That night, Gideon and his 300 soldiers were waiting for the battle. During the night, God woke Gideon up and said, Get up, go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. Remember I said Gideon struggled with fear? Well, God could sense fear in Gideon again. So look at what he says to Gideon. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So Gideon and Pura head down to the camp. As they're going on the way down, I'm sure his fear began to grow because it says in the scripture that, that the Amalekites and the other armies were uh, like locusts all over the valley and that there were more camels than there were grains on the shores of the ocean. He, all he saw was how huge the enemy was knowing how small his forces were. But then we continue reading. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. And then he returned to the camp and he called out, Get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. So what does that reveal to us? God reassures us in our weakness. God reassures us in our weakness that he is present and that he's going to, to work in our lives. Gideon had faithfully followed God's instructions. He had reduced the size of his army to a ridiculously small size. And in the midst of this weak position, he was trusting God to be strong. But Gideon was human. And he couldn't help but think about the disparity between the two camps of soldiers. So when God gave the orders to attack and saw that Gideon was, Gideon was afraid, he sent him to a place where he could be reassured. Remember, the big day of battle was ahead. Gideon had only 300 soldiers. They were far outnumbered. He saw all that the Amalekites had and the Midianites had, and he was scared. And God says to Gideon these words. He says, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he goes. He, he goes, and isn't it amazing that God sends Gideon at the right time to the right place 
at the right moment where he hears somebody interpret the dream that gives him the courage to recognize that God is going to help him fight this battle and win it. And I want you to notice Gideon's response. He fell down on his face and he worshiped God. How did Gideon fight his battle? By worshiping God, by trusting that God was who he was, who he said he was, and that he would work in him and through his life. You see, God wants us to realize that he is strong so we can rely on him, and he will give us reassurances that we need in our weakness. He did that for Gideon. That's the message of Judges chapter 7. Now, Because God loves us, though we are weak, he wants us to trust him. He wants to reassure us to be men and women of faith. And this chapter shows us how God wants to reassure reassure all of his followers to rely on him. When we're weak in our faith, when we're weak in our belief about following Jesus, we won't step out in faith and do the things that God's calling us to do. We'll think about what we could do even if there was no chance of failure, and we're scared to do it because we're weak in our faith. But if we trust God, he will reassure us in that weakness. And that's what God did with Gideon. Now think about this. When uh, Jesus and uh, the disciples were on the mount where he commissioned them, to take the gospel to the world, a very big, overwhelming idea to make disciples of all people. Right after that, he gives them a reassurance. He said, I'm going to be with you forever. When uh, Jesus uh, told the disciples that I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that made sense, but now I want you to go to Samaria where your enemies are, in Judea where there's other enemies. And in fact, I want you to go to the whole known world to be my witnesses, to tell people about me, he gave him a reassurance. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit on you to give you power and strength. In our weakness, he will be strong. We are like Gideon. We are in need of repeated assurance from God that he can sustain us, that he can work through us. We're often like Gideon, too, that we see the what-ifs. What if this doesn't happen? What if I'm not strong enough? What if I don't remember the right thing to say? What if I'm afraid to pray out loud? What if, what if, what if? The reality is this. We're all going to face struggles where we're not going to believe we're strong enough or confident enough or mature enough to do what God wants to do with us. But there's no There's nowhere in Scripture where it says you have to be strong enough, mature enough, confident enough. God wants to work in us and through us even when we think we're weak. And in fact, when we know we're weak, we're in the best place for God to work through us. So don't give up when you think God's calling you to do something. Don't forget about it when you think that God wants you to do something and you don't have any clue how it's going to get done. Just trust in him, keep leaning on him, and keep taking steps forward as he's calling you to do these things. God wants to work through us in our weakness. And he gives us assurances. 
I want to remind you what those assurances are because they are present in our lives 24-7 every day of our lives and we just forget about them or worse, ignore them. Here's the first way that God reassures us. He reassures us through his word, all right? That's why we continually encourage you to read scripture regularly and study it. And in fact, look, in the year 2020, we really have no excuse. There are multiple translations of scripture that fit the kind of education level you have. There are multiple apps on your smartphones where you can read scripture. And maybe you say, well, I'm not a good reader. I struggle with reading. You don't have to read it. It will play it back to you so you can hear it. We have no excuse. The truth of the matter is God gave us his word to strengthen us, to encourage us, to reassure us. And so I want to give you five reassurances this morning that that somebody challenged me to memorize years ago. They're going to be up on the screen. If you're using the Bible app, there's also our downloadable outline, and you can uh, download them right there to your smartphone and save them as notes. But here's the first one. It's an assurance of salvation. You know, some people realize, sometimes struggle with thinking, am I really saved? 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says this, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And, excuse me, wrong one. Uh, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. It's this idea that if we believe in Jesus, we have the Son of God, and we're given eternal life. It's a promise. If you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, if you said, I believe in him and want to follow him, you have the Son of God. So your salvation should not be up for grabs. You should be assured that you're saved. The next one is the assurance of victory. It's from 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 10, 13. Uh, It says this, No temptation has overcome you except what is common to humankind. But when you are tested, God will be faithful and provide a way out so you can stand up under that temptation. God will give you a victory in any temptation that you have. Here's the third one. It's the assurance of answered prayer. Jesus said this, Until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy will be complete. Let me caution you. This is not a magic formula to get that super car that you want, okay? All right. Because when you're asking in Jesus' name, you're saying, Jesus, I want you to answer this prayer according to your will. So it requires that we trust. Here's the next one. It's an assurance uh, of forgiveness. Uh, 1 John 1, 1, verse 9, tells us that um, if we confess our sins to God, that he is faithful and just, that he will purify us from all our unrighteousness and make us clean before God. And then there's the assurance of guidance. That's from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Those are five assurances that I memorized years ago. And you know what? I need them because I recall them often. Here's my challenge. We don't like to memorize. That's why we don't memorize. All right? Everybody can memorize. So we just don't want to do it because it takes hard work. So I encourage you to commit those five verses to memory. Here's the next way God assures us. He assures us through other people, specifically other believers. Last week, I had the blessing to go to Orlando. No, I didn't see Mickey. Um, 
I was a, a church plant assessor with 22 other church plants assessors. We were assessing uh, 15 couples who were sensing God's call to plant churches around the United States. And so for four days, 12 hours a day, we spent observing these couples and putting them through disciplines and role plays and uh, meeting with them and interviewing them so that at the end of that time together, we could say, you know what, we believe that you have what it takes to be the lead planter in a church plant. Now, there were some that we did not give them that recommendation. And this is what we said to them. It's not that we're saying you shouldn't be doing ministry. We believe you have gifts for ministry. We're just saying in this one sliver of ministry, being the lead church planter, we don't think that that's the wiring that God has given you. And so every one of them went out of there encouraged and affirmed, understanding that God had a plan for them to serve in the kingdom of God. You and I have the opportunity to give people assurances all the time. We need to look to people to encourage them. You know, we live in an age of criticism. God wants his sons and daughters to not be criticizers, but to be encouragers. Are you an encourager or a criticizer? Look, sometimes we need constructive criticism, okay? But that's really not what's going on in our culture right now. So we need to be encouragers. Here's the third way that God reassures us. God uses circumstances. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up right now. Uh, God uses circumstances to encourage us and uh, to reassure us. Think this through. God sent Gideon at the right time in the right place at the very right moment to hear somebody's dream interpretation so he would be encouraged. You know, maybe it's a sermon. Maybe it's a song that the worship team sings. Maybe it's a scripture that you read in your daily devotions. Maybe it's, it's somehow you're not even expecting or thinking about God and God breaks in to your thoughts or your life. And God uses that circumstance to reassure you that he's with you and that he's working in your life and he wants to work through your life. The worship team's going to sing a song this morning and they're going to invite you to sing it. And um, I want to tell you what the lyrics are so that you'll just focus on this. There's, there's this section where it says, I may be weak, but your spirit is strong in me. My flesh may fail, but my God will never. Look, when we're weak, when we can't do what we think we need to do for God, that's when we're at the place where we should be. That's where God wants to work in us and through us because we don't have a big head. We're not thinking that we have all the answers, that we can do it all, that we're mighty and strong. God wants to use us. I want to pray before we sing that song. And I've mentioned this already. Recognizing that, we're, that we need to be weak to let God work in us is really a, a principle of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's really how we come to faith in Jesus Christ because we realize that on our own, we're not able to save ourselves, that we're not able to, to do what God's calling us to do. We need a Savior. We need God to be in our lives. And, and so there comes a point in everybody's life who becomes a Christian where they say, God, 
I need you. I'm weak. I need you to save me. Yes, for eternity, but also to give me power to do what you're calling me to do in this life. So I want to pray for all of us, but then I want to move into a prayer for anybody who's never told Jesus that you've believed in them. And I'm going to give you the opportunity, maybe for the first time, to say to him, yes, I believe in you, and I want to follow you for the rest of my life. If you do pray that prayer, I will ask one thing, that you would take that welcome card, put your name on it, and your email address, because I want to send you a little book to encourage you in that first step of faith. Now, would you all bow your heads as I pray? Father, I thank you for the principle that when we are weak, you are strong. I thank you, Lord, that we can see that in Gideon's life and we can see it in our own lives. And we know, Lord, that when we recognize that, you can do mighty things through your weak sons and daughters. Lord, I also recognize that each one of us has to come to that place where we recognize that we need a Savior because we can't save ourselves. And so if there's anybody in here this morning who's never told Jesus that they need a Savior, this is your opportunity to do so. I'm just going to give you some words to pray silently right where you're seated. So here we go. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died to pay for my sins. And I believe he rose again from the dead. And now I want to follow him all the days of my life. So Lord, we commit this prayer and all of these prayers to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand while we sing this song, recognizing what God can do through us. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.